Welcome to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Each week, JMC will host one of the voiceover industry's most interesting personalities for a casual freestyle chat that encompasses more than just business, digging deep into the guest's backstory and pulling back the curtain on how they became the person they are today. And now for this week's guest, Andia Winslow. Andia, you're one of the busiest voice actors in L.A. right now. I can't turn on the TV without hearing you somewhere. But there's rarely such a thing in voice acting or in any field of endeavor as an overnight success. Can you tell us a little bit about your voiceover journey? Sure. It's, it's been a journey. That's the first thing. <laughs> so I started uh, voiceover kind of inadvertently. I was uh, teaching uh, marathoners in New York City for the New York City Marathon. And there was an agent who took my class on, on occasion. And one day after class, she pulled me aside and said, you should consider voiceover. Now, I think I knew what voiceover was inherently, but I didn't understand what voiceover was as a, as a business. Uh, my best friend at the time got me some uh, voiceover, voice, voice lessons as a birthday gift, kind of a teacher how to fish type situation. I took them. It was a lot of fun. It was great to recreate. And the coach said, I think you should take this more seriously. And so I, I kind of hesitated a bit. And then I, one summer I said, let me, let me go ahead and try that. And I booked one of my first auditions for PBS, do promos for PBS. And I saw the check and I said, I will stop recreating immediately. <laughs> I will get into this this endeavor post haste, and then with the funds from that uh, gig, I moved to LA, joined the union, and I've been working ever since. So, when was that first gig with PBS? Uh, that was in 2016, the very end of 2016. Okay, so, so you're you're six LA. you're six years in now. Then I'd say full time full time four years, but six years of understanding that this could be a craft if taken seriously. Now, your background is about as varied as they come. You're an elite athlete. You've done, you were a a pro golfer on the LPGA Tour. You've uh, gone all the way through to racing skeletons and luges at the Olympic level. Um, You've produced a series of YouTube uh, workout videos that Forbes magazine has called the smartest and sexiest workout videos ever. How have all of these different life experiences made you a better voice actor? It's mm, a good question. I would say looking back at the collective, which are which seem they they're seemingly dis, uh, disparate, uh, but really it's all about storytelling. Whether that be with your voice or with your body, uh, getting from point A to point Z, and the the trials and tribulations in between. I think that's. That is the current thread of my life for everything that I do. It's seeing a challenge, uh, being in awe by curiosity, and then tackling, tackling whatever it takes to get to the, to the elite level, um, just because I'm curious and I enjoy a challenge. So just out of curiosity, I was reading in an article that the LPGA experience wasn't one you particularly enjoyed. What was it about your time on the LPGA tour that didn't meet your expectations? Well, I will say this. I played developmental tours. I played in some LPGA starts, but I was a developmental tour athlete. So it's more like uh, farm league versus major league baseball. Um, I would say the biggest issue is that I turned professional when the market crashed. And so there was no sponsorship. There's already an issue between equity in men and women's sports. So finding sponsors was tough. Working eight odd jobs to pay for said tournaments was tough. Uh, The travel was tough. So I came out during a time when it was not financially uh, lucrative. And also there wasn't social media yet when I turned pro. So 
you know, there's influencers now who make more than tour players, women, to, female tour players. So there wasn't the social media drive behind my efforts mm. then. There wasn't the sponsorship. And it was just a tough time. So I would say that's the biggest issue, I think, for any athlete at that time, especially women. How many of those um, of those activities are you still involved in? Are you still luge racing or skeleton racing? or <laughs> Absolutely not. I enjoy warm weather. <laughs> uh, I, I live in Los Angeles. There's no, there's no ice. There's no bobsled or skeleton tracks here. Uh, living in the tundra of upstate New York was an experience, to say the least. I did that for one whole season, and I said goodbye after that, and I put that in my cap and moved on. <laughs> Are you still working on your YouTube videos? I'm not in the same way. I think I... I was making those videos back before social media got big. There was only YouTube at that time. And I was making the videos as kind of a gift to my communities that I was serving, um, trying to get people who didn't have uh, access to gyms, to capital, who didn't know that they were worthy of exercise and health um, to be active in ways that were non-traditional and non-traditional spaces. I worked with the American Heart Association a lot. And so I was really just trying to activate communities that have been, uh, that have been marginalized and forgotten in a lot of ways. And so I'm really proud of that work. I still work in the world of fitness as a consultant for big brands um, but, and for programming for events. But my main focus right now is the craft of voiceover and storytelling through that venue. Now, there's a lot of voiceover coaches out there that stress the importance of niching in your career, about finding your lane and sticking to it. You've taken the exact opposite path. I mean, you excel in commercials, but you do audiobooks, you do video games, you're into narration, animation, spoken word stuff. Um, how has this much broader approach, this refusing to be niched, um, helped your career? Well, I, I think it's indicative of my life in general. I refuse to be limited by titles and... Uh, boundaries that other people set upon me. I'm here to explore. I've got one life. I would say in terms of voiceover, uh, I took a workshop with Sylvia Villagran, who's an amazing voice talent. Um, she's mm -hmm. been in the business for so much time. And she was the one that encouraged me to look broadly, you know, to be, to be very focused on storytelling consistently across genre, but to look broadly because there's so many ways that your voice can be utilized and she was the she was the impetus for taking that taking that on, and then just it just matched my personality. You've now done hundreds and hundreds, thousands even of voiceover sessions. What and you've worked with some of the best voice directors in the country. What is it that really great voice directors do to elicit from you your best possible performance? Thank you for that question. I would say. They encourage the talent on the mic side to play. They encourage us to experiment. They encourage us to take risks. And they encourage us to do all those things real time. And sometimes that's an advisement of like, try it this way. Or sometimes it's set in the stage like, imagine if. And so when you do that, when you allow someone that permission to explore their creativity, the best is going to come out. Uh, I've had some sessions with J.B. Blanc this, uh, this year that were just hands down, just I'm thinking, man, this is, <laughs> I would have paid for this. I would have paid to, got, to have gotten this kind of support and encouragement and the banter and 
we laughed the whole time and it was amazing. And there's so many examples of that, both in the commercial world, video game world, animation, where I'm just like, man, what a gift. This is so much fun. And I think that's a, it's, it's play. And that's, that's not just in voiceover, that's in anything we do. If you allow people to be creative and take chances and to play, you're going to reap the best out of them, in my opinion. Now, on the flip side, what is it that some voice directors do that make you crazy? That just, uh, I can't do my best work in this kind of situation. I think, <laughs> I don't want to offend any voice directors. No names. Don't list any names. I think when the directions are polar opposites. When someone says, please be saccharine. And then they say, but also be forbearant. I'm like, mm, not sure that those two things can live together. <laughs> so maybe it's just a definition of terms, knowing what they want. And that could just be not being certain about what they want. So, and then being afraid, especially younger voice directors of making mistakes. We're all gonna make mistakes, but remembering that it is a collaborative process and we can help each other by using language that's actually common language and not using words that industry has said you must use. So I'd say just being a little bit more communicative. I have always said that someone needs to come up with a, a dictionary of voiceover terms <laughs> that voice directors can use to communicate with voice actors so that everyone understands the baseline that you're working from. Um, maybe you and I can get together sometime and we'll, we'll work on that dictionary. The user's guide to language. <laughs> it, indeed. It seems to me, as a working voice actor, and I see auditions going over my desk all the time, that the, there are more voice acting roles for BIPOC actors than there used to be. There seem to be more prevalent. And it also seems to be that BIPOC actors are being requested to audition for roles that aren't specifically kind of urban or otherwise stereotyped. Do you agree? Do you find that that's happening? And what are the benefits and the challenges of being a female African-American voice actor in today's environment? Sure. Well, first, I think we should, for listeners who don't know, BIPOC is a new term for Black, Indigenous, people of color. Typically, you say, I think in the past, people of color. Now, people are saying also uh, people of global majority, because if you add us all up collectively, we are not a minority. We're not people of color because we come in all shades. We all have mixed heritage. Most of us do. I do. Um, I think the issue is there's this issue of real casting that's happening um, happening in voiceover world and on camera, and it's reflective of the people who live lives every day. The world is not just white folks, whether they be North America, South America, Europe. That's not, it's not true. So if you look at who's buying in commercial sense, who's spending money, who's paying for tickets, it's all kinds of people. Therefore, those voices should reflect the sale of product, said products being purchased. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think when you tell someone, for, in my case, based on the way I look, they say, hey, can you be more black? Well, I'm very black. I'm very black. I've lived a very black experience. The way I look has, has informed how people treat me, whether that's for right or for wrong. So don't tell me that I don't sound black enough because this is a very black experience that I lived and I'm currently living and will continue to live based on how I look. There's nothing wrong with that. That being said, I'm from Seattle, Washington. We don't have accents there. I'm highly educated. This is how I speak. I'm well read. I, you know, I travel in all kinds of circles. Can I code switch? Heck yes. But this voice not being black enough? Heck no. This is blackness and this is blackness real time. So I think the issue is depending on what the client wants, who the market is, is it a, 
is it a segment of the population? Are they trying to sell to the African-American market? Are they trying to sell to general American population? Are they trying to sell to Canada? Who are they trying to sell to? But realizing the people who are making the decisions don't always reflect the people who are actually having the purchasing power. And I think that's where the disconnect happens. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but I hope I'm leading towards no, it. No, I think you did. What are your thoughts on non-BIPOC actors auditioning for and perhaps winning um, BIPOC roles? Because that there's been kind of an ongoing undercurrent of, of dissatisfaction uh, amongst the the general voiceover community about mm-hmm. um, white people auditioning for, you know, African-American roles. I think the question is intention. Like, who are you trying to sell to? Are you, do white folks know what it means to be a person of color or a black person or a person of global majority selling directly to those people? Do they know what the audience wants? Are they putting on a caricature? Now, I think there's acting and there's caricature. There's a whole thread of drama in the past two years about certain individuals creating, creating entire avatars for right. their fake black voice. Why? Why, why? why the need to do that? Talking about a lived experience, going so far as to rename themselves and being represented by agencies with more than one name, the black name and their, their given name. I think that's unfair. I think that's disgusting. I think that there's no place for it. Why would you do that? Is it that you're not booking enough work as yourself? Then you need to work harder or work differently or work more strategically. Um, I don't know that there is such thing as a black role that white folks desperately want or need and people are upset, but don't be upset at black actors of actors of color, actors of global majority. Be upset at your ancestors who blocked all these opportunities for hundreds of years. Be upset at them. Don't be upset at me. Because now we're in, because we live, we exist, we spend money. And we spend more money than white folks. So really, maybe the question is, why do white folks even get to have any acting roles at all? Because we spend more money anyway. Maybe that's the question, right? If you're selling to your audience and your audience is people of color, people of global majority, who dominate spending, maybe there should be less roles for white actors. I'm just asking the question. I'm not saying that's how it should be. I'm just saying, if we look at the numbers, and this country is all about capitalism and North America in general, look at the numbers and the metrics... Who's spending the money? I'm just asking a question. Yeah, I I know that <laughs> I know of one specific example of a um, a non BIPOC actor who created an avatar and had set up a um, a whole a whole profile a whole mm-hmm. character around doing you know an African American voice, and they were using some pretty loaded stereotyped kind of um, keywords associated with it. And I, I certainly agree that there, on no level is that ever going to be acceptable or appropriate, but it's, yeah. um, it's, it's a grayer area that like, that's a, that's a black and white kind of situation. But I, <laughs> I, I, I think that there's a, a grayer area there as well. It's a, it's a interesting time. Um, for both white actors and BIPOC actors as we start to feel out, you know, the, the types of roles that, um, that we're getting cast for. I, I also have noticed frequently over the past, um, the past many months that um, non-binary um, actors are being requested for, um, to audition for many roles. I think the issue is just authenticity, making sure everyone gets to be part of the solution 
and part of the journey, but also encouraging people who've been typically left off. I think a lot of black actors specifically, if it didn't say black, they didn't think they were able to audition or their, their agents even in many cases did not even send them out on auditions, which is questionable in itself. So it's, it's more of a, it's not a statement of we are only going to hire non-binary or, or people of global majority. It's an issue of, hey, everyone's welcome in here. And the reason that we have to explicitly say is because these marginalized communities have been left off intentionally for years. So it's more of an inclusive uh, cast of Annette than a divisive one that I think a lot of folks are making it. And at the end of the day, you've got to be a good voice actor. You have to be a good voice actor. That's how you book the job. I so think who, whoever you are, where you come from. I feel that too frequently we get lost. We, we lose sight of the fact that it's really all about the craft of what it is that we mm-hmm. do. And it's, it's not about, it, it's all about the craft and you're right. At the end right. of the day, it's the best performance is going to win. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a good thing when we're all being evaluated based on, the performances that we're delivering in our auditions. Right. You're right. keynoting at the One Voice Conference USA coming up in August in Houston. Aside from the fact that Houston in August is a pretty hot, sticky place to be, <laughs> um, what are a couple of key messages that you want voice actors to take away from from your session? What What is it that voice actors can be looking forward to um, as they uh, as they watch your your uh, session? Well, this is a good question because I'm starting to now outline some ideas for my speech. They asked for the title the other day. I said, well, I'm still working through it. I've got to, <laughs> got to get there. But I think the, the, the main crux of my, of my speech will be about doing the work, about the blueprint for going from I want to do this, I want to be involved in this field, to I am in this field, to I'm at the top of this field, and what it takes to get from A to Z, as I mentioned before. So um, everyday, everyday tools that people can use, um, inspirations that I've had, and just the very, uh, very journey I've had to get to where I am now, which is a really cool place. Um, and I hope to encourage and inspire folks to do the same in their own in their own ways, and uh, and to sustain that. Uh, that's the other thing too. This this industry, there are a lot of ups and downs in entertainment in general, and to be able to establish your place and retain that place, I think that's what I want to encourage folks who are listening to to adopt. So the theme here is do the work. Do that's- the exclamation point exclamation point so how's your uncle michael uncle michael's great <laughs> what is he He's what is great. so mike michael winslow who is uh uh andia's uh uncle is uh, mm-hmm. a famous hollywood actor and but he's known as the man of 10,000 voices he does or 10,000 mm-hmm. sound effects and he does some pretty awesome stuff um is he is he out there uh, working in the industry still he is. He is. He uh, was on America's Got Talent last year. Uh, that right. was kind of funny. He he works the comedy circuit a lot. Um, he travels internationally for shows. Uh, he's in Europe and Asia quite a bit. Uh, he also does voice acting. And, uh, you know, having someone like that to look up to has been incredible because I see him creating these characters and sounds just out of nowhere. It's total creation. It's not him mimicking. He's... I mean, he can mimic, of course, but he can also create something from nothing. So I think that's the lesson in watching him is he's the master of uh, the master of exploring and executing his own creative mind. 
and he does not, he's not afraid to take risks. And I learned a lot from him in that way. When I look at a lot of people that I admire from a creativity standpoint, I'm thinking about um, Robin Williams as an example. And I, mm. and I consider your uncle Michael to be, you know, of, of that similar kind of ilk that I just think that their heads are wired differently. Like I have no idea yes. how Michael <laughs> yes, wins. I have no idea how Michael Winslow can come up with the sounds that he does out of his mouth. It's just incredible. Um, it, was there a key piece of advice he gave you when you were getting started in your voiceover career? Uh, not a key piece of advice. I think it was more of a reminder to just keep exploring and keep being curious. And that's, that's a reminder that all of my family, my family's, their interests are very di diverse and his, his own family has been very uh, influential in him taking the risk, but really just be curious, be curious and explore the curiosity and, uh, uh, you know, in every form that it presents itself. And, and I've been really excited and supported in, in doing that all my life for my family, whether it be sports or, you know, academics or creative endeavors. It's been it's been a privilege to be from this family, <laughs> to say the least. So what is the best couple of pieces of advice that you could offer to up and coming voice actors who are either just getting started or are established at and, 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 and starting to achieve some traction. What is some of the best advice that you could offer these people? I would say that the first thing is to live a life. I think a lot of folks get siloed in. I must become this. I must become that. I've got to read this and read that. But if you go out in the world, you will hear voices and you will hear sounds and be inspired by colors and smells. And when you live outside of your own space, limited space, you're going to be inspired by so many things. Like you might hear, hear a bird trill and say, well, that's a great, you know, baseline for a character sound. Or you're on the subway in Manhattan and you hear two guys, one's from Brooklyn, one's from the Bronx, arguing. That could be a scene that you write for your, your demo. Or, you know, you hear an old grandmother smoking on the corner and you hear her really deep, gravelly voice. That's inspiration for a character. So really go outside and live. And that's really the best teacher. And then the other thing that I've found very helpful in my early career and now is... I read out loud every day, whether it's a menu, whether it's the you know, LA Times, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, because I want to see how the words create cadence and how I interpret them and how I'm able to real-time interpret the copy. Uh, I have conversations every day. I try to meet new people every day, pre-COVID anyway, because this is going to inform how I approach storytelling. So really, this is just one big story, whether the genre is video games or long-form narration or audiobooks or IVR, you are telling a story. You're trying to encourage someone to do, to be moved, to move, to buy, to sell, to think, to not think. And it's about finding the story. So go live a life and the stories will find you. I appreciated the fact that as I was preparing for this interview today, I went and listened to a bunch of your demos. And there is no affectation in anything that you do. Like, it's just all natural Andia. And I, I, I think that that is a key, a key um, piece of advice that, that beginning voice actors can take away from, from your story is that mm -hmm. you are always authentically you, no matter what genre the demo happened to be in. Because so many people have this idea in their head what a voice actor is supposed to sound like, 
instead of just <laughs> I sounding had that idea. like they <laughs> do you think I have a, yeah I had that idea when I first started I was like I must sound stilted and professional and enunciate every word ever so clearly and I'm like that's not that's not sustainable <laughs> But uh, once you realize what you're saying, I mean, also follow trends. Right now, the trend is for conversational, you know, unaffected, everyday man, woman next door. And you are that person if you would just relax and settle into who you are. But then the question is, well, who are you? So then maybe that's the first tip. Discover who you are, because if you don't know that, you're going to struggle to find a lane where you can be authentically yourself. Real time, under duress, when being directed in a session, real time session. Fantastic. You have been listening to This Week in BO with J. Michael Collins. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues on social media. If you do, JMC might just send you a lobster. Now here's nobody trying to sell you anything, because that's just how we roll. Stay tuned for a new podcast most weeks throughout the year. 